Thank you, choir. Thank you, Bill. What a wonderful promise that the Lord is coming again. We are going to continue our series today looking at some of the fundamentals of the faith, some of the basic doctrines we as Christians hold. We began by looking at the Bible because it is the foundation for our beliefs. We looked at God, the Trinity, Satan, the nature of man, salvation, the security of the believer, and so forth. But today our focus is going to be on the second coming of Christ. Now, the first coming of Christ was prophesied and fulfilled. Isaiah, hundreds of years before Jesus was born, prophesied that when the Messiah came, he would be born to a virgin. Micah, at about the same time, prophesied when the Messiah was born that he would be born in the little town of Bethlehem. The psalmist prophesied his death in detail. So when Jesus was born and came to this world, the prophecies concerning the coming of the Messiah were fulfilled. Now, if the prophecies concerning the first coming of Jesus were fulfilled, then we can assume that the prophecies concerning the second coming of Jesus will be fulfilled also. Some years ago, there was a survey taken by U.S. News and World Report, and they reported that 61% of Americans believe in the second coming of Christ. 40% believe that Jesus will come during their lifetime. The Bible prophesies the return of Jesus. In fact, the second coming of Jesus is mentioned in all but four books in the New Testament. One out of every 30 verses deals with the return of Christ in the New Testament. Billy Graham said the most often mentioned event in the entire Bible is the second coming of Christ. It is mentioned in the Apostles' Creed, the Nicene Creed, the Augsburg Confession. So today we're going to focus our attention on the second coming of Christ. Now, I am not suggesting at all that all of you are going to believe with my position, but since I'm the one preaching, I'm going to give it to you anyway. Take your Bibles, turn with me to the Gospel of Mark, chapter 13, beginning in verse number 3. And as he was sitting on the Mount of Olives opposite the temple, Peter and James and John and Andrew were questioning him privately. Tell us, when will these things be and what will be the sign when all these things are going to be fulfilled? And Jesus began to say to them, See to it that no one misleads you. Many will come in my name saying, I am he and will mislead many. And when you hear of wars and rumors of wars, do not be frightened. Those things must take place. But that is not yet the end. For nation will arise against nation and kingdom against kingdom. There will be earthquakes in various places. There will also be famines. These things are merely the beginning of birth pains. Now, Jesus is here when the disciples come to him and ask the question in verse number 4, Jesus, when are you going to come back? What is the sign of your return? And so Jesus then began to address the question. He did not give us a date, though he did give us signs. 
To be honest with you, yesterday I thought maybe one of the signs was if the Gamecocks beat Georgia. (laughs) I looked at exaggerations, did not find it there, but nevertheless, there are signs that have been given. Now understand as we look at this, Jesus gave signs, but no date. In fact, the Bible says in Matthew 24, 36, But of that day and hour no one knows, not even the angels of heaven nor the Son, but the Father alone. Now, ladies and gentlemen, you must always keep that in mind. The Bible tells us very plainly that no one knows the day when Jesus is coming back. I know that through the years there are those who have prophesied that He is going to come at this time, but the Scripture says very plainly that no one knows the day when He is coming back except the Father. So Jesus did not give us a date when He was coming. He did, however, give us some signs. He said, these are the things that you look for. This is what you anticipate. And when you begin to see these things being fulfilled, then you can know that you are in the general area. So, let's consider some of them today. For for instance, what will the mental state be of the world when Jesus comes? Whenever you think about it, what is it going to be like? What, What is our thinking going to be? What is our feeling going to be at the time of Jesus' return? And the Bible tells us that there will be perplexity among nations. In Luke chapter 21, verse number 25, And there will be signs in sun and moon and stars and upon the earth dismay among nations, in perplexity at the roaring of the sea and the waves. So Jesus said that when he returns, there's going to be perplexity among the nations. The word perplexity is two Greek words. There is the A, which means to negate, and then way. So it means no way or at a loss for a way. So Jesus is saying that the the mental state of the world when he comes back is there is going to be at, at a loss for a way or a loss for an explanation that there are going to be things that are happening in the world to which we can't explain. In other words, there will be more questions than there are answers. A perplexity among the nations. Well, as I was thinking about that promise that he made, that prophecy that he made, that there is going to be considerable confusion among the nations when he comes back. Questions to which there are no answers. Then I began to think of subjects. The economy. Have you noticed that today there are a lot of questions about the economy around the world, but it seems there are no real answers? We know what's happened in Greece. We know what has happened in Europe. We know what is happening in our own country as far as the economy is concerned. I was talking with Harold Weaver. Harold is a man who knows far more about the economy than I. And I said, Harold... You have been telling me for five years that the economy is going to crash. It hasn't crashed yet. Is it that the fundamentals of the economy have been so skewed that they no longer apply? For instance, 
the Fed has been printing $85 billion a month in money out of nothing, just printing money. Now, they're not printing that much now, but they've been printing that much for some time, $85 billion a month. Now, we know what that happens because it's based on nothing. When you introduce that much new money into the system, then there is what? There's inflation. But the government tells us that there is no inflation. Of course, they do not factor in the cost of fuel and food. So then they say that there is no inflation. But if you've been to the grocery store or you bought gas, you know that there is inflation. All right, now then how do you deal with that? Well, you raise the interest rate. But interest rates are at an historic low. So when I, when I look at the economy, I, I think that there are a lot of questions, but it seems that there are no answers. And so I asked Mr. Weaver. I said, what is the answer? And he said, no one knows. That's what Jesus said. He said that when I come back, there is going to be perplexity of nations at a loss for a way or at a loss for an answer. There are going to be these fundamental questions to which we have no answer. What about education? We constantly change education, but our scores keep going down. In fact, I read just uh, within the last couple of weeks, I think, that there has been a change in curriculum to high school students studying history. And in this change that has been introduced, there are two references to George Washington. There is a slight mention to Thomas Jefferson. There is no mention of Martin Luther King. So we continue to tweak these things to make them better, and yet it doesn't seem to work. So I ask myself the question, is this perhaps what Jesus is speaking about? What, all, what about all the conflicts in the world to which there seem to be no answer? ISIS, what are we going to do about that? Iran, are they going to get a nuclear weapon? Russia, are they going to continue their invasion? What is going to happen? The point is, Jesus said, the mental state of the world when I come is that there will be perplexity of nations. There will be questions, but there will not be answers. There's confusion. He also said there would be the fear of the citizens. Jesus said men's hearts failing them for fear and for looking after those things which are coming on the earth. It is going to be a time of great fear. Harold Uray is a professor and Nobel Prize winner. He wrote a pamphlet titled, I'm a Frightened Man, and he said, all the scientists I know are frightened. Have you ever seen so much fear as we see today? People are scared. In fact, in a, one of the reality programs they have is doomsday preppers. I mean, they dig holes in the ground, fill it up with food because they're scared as to what's going to happen. And they want to be prepared. That's what Jesus said. He is talking about the mental state of the world. And he said there's going to be this confusion, questions to which there are no answers, and the citizens are fearful. Well, what about the moral state? What is the world going to be like morally when Jesus comes back? He said, well, it will be as it was in the days of Noah. In Matthew 24, verse 37, For the coming of the Son of Man will be just like the days of Noah. Did you note that? The coming of the Son of Man will be just like the days of Noah. Okay, what are the characteristics of the days of Noah? Well, it was a time when sin was rampant. In Genesis chapter 6, verse number 5, 
Then the Lord saw that the wickedness of man was great on the earth and that every intent of the thoughts of his heart was only evil continually. Now that is a description of Noah's day. The Bible says that man was given over to sin. Now judgment was imminent because God will only allow sin so long then he will deal with it. But here's the thing that is fascinating to me. Noah proclaimed the warning from God about judgment that was to come, but the people of his day did not respond to the warning. As a matter of fact, he preached for 120 years warning the people about God's judgment that was to come. They rejected his grace, and the Bible says that only eight people were saved in the ark. 1 Peter chapter 3, verse 20, who once were disobedient when the patience of God kept waiting in the days of Noah during the construction of the ark in which a few, that is eight persons, were brought safely through the water. So what we look at when, when Jesus said it will be as it was in the days of Noah, it was a time of great sin. The warning was issued by Noah that God's judgment was coming. The people did not respond. Only eight people were in the ark. Only eight people were saved. So Jesus said, how's it going to be? It's going to be as it was in the days of Noah. He says it's going to be as it was in the days of Lot. In Luke chapter 17, verse 28, it was the same as happened in the days of Lot. Okay? So Jesus said, what is the world going to be like? Morally, when I return. What will the moral condition of the world be when I return? It will be as it was in the days of Lot. What was the primary characteristic of the day of Lot? It was militant homosexuality. And so that was was the character of the day of Lot. And Jesus said, that is the way it will be when I return. So there is militant homosexuality in Lot's day and spiritual lukewarmness. Now, in the story, Lot was the man of God, but he had learned to be comfortable in Sodom. He had become a part of the system. So when I look at Lot's day, I see it as being militant homosexuality and spiritual lukewarmness. Okay, then what will the religious state be when Jesus comes back? What is religion going to look like? The Bible says it will be a time of apostasy. In 2 Thessalonians 2, verse 3, For it will not come unless the apostasy comes first. That is a falling away, a turning away. Dr. H.C. Morrison said, We are now living in the twilight of the great apostasy, and perilous times are gathering like the hurrying regiments of a mobilizing army. So here's what he says. What will religion be like at the time Jesus comes and the day when Jesus comes? It will be a time of apostasy. In other words, there is, there is a distancing from the Word of God, from the things of God, from the values that we have built this country. And we're seeing that today. The Judeo-Christian ethic on which this country has been built is under attack. And I I know that they try to make light of that sometime, but folks, that's the truth. You can see that every week if you simply read the newspaper, that those values that we read in the Word of God are under attack 
The Bible says that it will be a time of apostasy, a falling away from the truth, a falling away from the Word of God. He says that there will be false religions in verse number 22. For false Christ and false prophets will arise and will show signs and wonders in order possible to lead the elect astray. Do you know that there are over 350 cults and sects in America today? And some of the teachings and doctrines that I hear in some Christian churches, I don't recognize from the Bible today. What does Jesus say? The religious state as it will be when I come back. He said it will be a time of apostasy as people are falling away, turning away from the Word of God. It will be a time of false religion. It will be a time when Christians are persecuted. The Bible says in Matthew 24, verse 9, Then they will deliver you to tribulation and will kill you. And you will be hated by all nations on account of my name. Christians under attack. We hear that almost daily on the news about the persecuted Christians around the world who are under attack. We saw the thousands in Iraq who had fled to the mountain trying to escape under attack. Removed from their homes where they've been for 2,000 years. Those people have been for 2,000 years. Removed from their homes under attack today. That is what Jesus says. It will be a time when Christians are persecuted. He also says that it will be a time of lawlessness. In Matthew 24, verse 12, And because lawlessness is increased, most people's love will grow cold. There is widespread lawlessness today. Authority is rejected in the home. There are so many homes where there is no established authority that is respected in the schools. Authority is not respected. We have security guards in the halls. We have metal detectors in the entrance. The streets are dangerous, violence. We are familiar with what has happened in Ferguson and so forth, but we also know that in Chicago and New York City and Columbia, South Carolina, that there are murders and so forth on a regular basis. In the churches, sometimes there is a lack of respect for authority. That's what Jesus said. What is it going to be like when I come back? It's going to be a time of violence. Natural love will wane. He said love will grow cold. You know, there is a love that should be natural. We think of it as being natural. But he says that in in these days, natural love will grow cold. We've aborted millions of unborn babies. Millions. Those who are born oftentimes are abused. And we were all shocked this past week when we heard the allegations of a father who killed five of his children. You think, what is what's this all about? What is happening? I don't know. I don't know if it applies or not. But as I look at this and try to understand it, try to have some feel for it, Jesus said, here are some signs. You need to look at these signs. These are the things that are going to happen if the prophecies concerning his first coming were fulfilled, then I assume the prophecies concerning His second coming will be fulfilled as well. The truth is, when we look at these signs, however you come down on them, whatever you see them to be, they should demand our attention because they are going to be dangerous days. I think that is the thing that Jesus is saying in part. 
when I come back, it is going to be a time of danger. Now, we know about the danger that is in other places. We know about the danger abroad. We have seen the beheading of the two journalists, and I think yesterday there was a beheading of another. So we're seeing people on around the world who are, who are being beheaded today. We saw the plane that was shot out of the sky in the Ukraine. So we know that in other parts of the world there is danger, but ladies and gentlemen, there is also danger here. Announced on a radio program said, What kind of world do we live in where our children are armed and our citizens fearful? So we know that these are going to be dangerous days, and we know that our days are dangerous days. And man has tried to find a solution. There's the League of Nations, the United Nations, more policemen on the streets, metal detectors, all those things. We are trying to find a solution to the danger that we face. But do you know that God has a solution? When it gets this way, do you know that God has a solution? Look at verse 26. And then they will see the Son of Man coming in clouds with great power and glory. That is the description that the Lord gives us as to the day at His coming. And we do all that we can to try to make it a safer place and more peaceful. But we have been unsuccessful, and the Bible says, and Jesus is coming back. He is coming back. So, the signs, as we look at them, should motivate us to preparation for the rapture. And I'm sure that you've heard the word rapture. What is that? It's, it, the word is not in the Bible, but you are familiar with it because of movies and books and all of that about the rapture. And by the way, I do believe in the rapture. What is it? Basically, it comes from 1 Thessalonians chapter 4, verse 17. Then we who are alive and remain shall be caught up together with them in the clouds to meet the Lord in the air. The rapture basically means caught up. So it is speaking of that being caught up. Kenneth Wiest gives a more descriptive understanding as to what the word means, caught up. What does that mean? He said it means to catch away speedily, to catch away speedily. Do you understand that if this is a correct interpretation concerning the rapture, that just like that God could take everybody out who knows him? To catch away speedily. Whenever the rapture occurs, those people who know the Lord are going to be caught away, go to be with Him, to catch away speedily. He said it means to seize by force. Why would it be necessary to seize by force? Well, maybe Satan is trying to prevent it, or perhaps it is that we have become so comfortable in this world we don't want to leave. That was the problem with Lot and his wife. When the Lord was trying to rescue them, from Sodom, they did not want to leave. Maybe that's the reason. It means to claim for oneself. It is the bridegroom who is coming for his bride. It means to move to a new place. Those who are saved are going to be removed from here to be with the Lord. And he said it means to rescue. It's Jesus rescuing his church from danger. Now, personally... That is one of the reasons I, I, I personally, in my interpretation, do not believe that the church will go through the tribulation. There are some of you probably who do. I hope you're wrong, and I hope I'm right, because I don't, I don't want to do that. But what, if, if, the, if the word here means to rescue, it suggests to me at least that the church will not go through the tribulation. 
What about those who are left behind? Because if the rapture occurs and those who are saved go be with the Lord, what about those who are not saved and they are left behind? If you're not a believer, if you're not a Christian, and the rapture does take place, all those who are saved go to be with the Lord, but those who are not will be left behind. What about them? Well, the first thing I would say is don't look for me. Because I don't intend to stay. So don't look for me. Secondly, I would say don't take the mark of the beast. During that time, the tribulation period, the Bible says the Antichrist is going to come and reign. He's going to give those who are left behind a mark. That mark is going to be necessary for trade and so forth. The mark of the beast be necessary for trade. Now, if you, if you take the mark, then you will be eternally damned. If you don't take the mark, then you will be martyred. So the choices are not good, but those are the two choices that are there. And don't expect God's help because the Holy Spirit has been removed. Now let me conclude. The last chapter of the last book in the Bible emphasizes the return of Jesus. The last chapter in the last book emphasizes his return. In Revelation chapter 22, verse 7, he said, I am coming quickly. In verse number 12 of the same chapter, he said, Behold, I am coming quickly. In verse number 20, he says, Yes, I am coming quickly. So when we come to the last chapter in the last book of the Bible, the emphasis is on the return of Christ. I am coming quickly. So in the meantime, what should we do? We should encourage each other. The Bible says in 1 Thessalonians 4.18, Therefore comfort one another with these words. Ladies and gentlemen, for the believer, the return of Christ is an encouragement. The early Christians would greet each other with the word Maranatha, which means till he comes. And they were going through a difficult time as well. But that was their great hope. That was their encouragement, Maranatha, till he comes. They were looking for the return of Jesus. So understand that the second coming is not something to frighten you if you know the Lord. It is an encouragement that Jesus is coming again. Second, I would suggest to you that you live godly lives until he comes. In 1 John chapter 2, verse 28, And now little children abide in him, so that when he appears we may have confidence and not shrink away from him in shame at his coming. Live your life in such a way that when Jesus comes, you're ready to greet him. You're ready to welcome him. You're ready to see him. Not at shame. Third thing I would say, if you're not a Christian, if you've not been saved, if you've not been born again, then you need to be saved. Because Jesus is coming again. When Eisenhower was president, he received a letter from a boy, Paul Haley, who lived in Denver. And this boy, for whatever reason, wanted to meet the president. And so he had written this impassioned letter that he wanted to meet the president. Well, it happened that in time, President Eisenhower went to Denver. And so he was aware of the letter and decided that he was going to go and see the boy. So he made arrangements to go over. Well, when he got to the boy's house, his dad, Don Haley, answered the door. 
He was not expecting the president, so his hair was not combed. It was disheveled. He had on an undershirt. He, uh, he was not that presentable. He was interviewed later, and they asked him the question about the surprise of the president coming to his house to see his son. And he said, I have never been so embarrassed in my life. My friend, Jesus Christ, the King of kings and Lord of lords, the Son of God, is coming. And it's my prayer that when you stand before him that you're not embarrassed because you know him. That he is your Lord, he is your Savior, and you welcome him, but not embarrassed before him. He is coming again. Are you ready? Our gracious Father and God, as we contemplate your word and what you say about the day in which we live and perhaps the day in which you return, I pray, Father, that you'll show us our spirits as to whether or not we know you. And I pray, Lord, for those who examine themselves to ask if they are in the faith, those who conclude that they are not, that today they might trust Jesus as Savior. Lord, help us to understand the gravity of the day, the seriousness of the time, and the great opportunity that we have today. In Jesus' name I pray. Amen. In just a moment, we're going to stand. The choir is going to sing a hymn of invitation. If you're here without Jesus, I pray that you might come to receive him today. You say, well, I don't know what to do. We'll have staff here to talk with you and pray with you. If you're looking for a church home, our doors are open to you. We'd love to have you as a part of our family. Stand with me, please. As we stand, they sing. You come. I'll greet you as you do.